Mark chapter 6. For those of you that are visiting with us here this morning, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And um, I don't know about anybody else, but just really been enjoying once again the, uh, the story of Jesus. The, the, the way that, that Mark uh, weaves together this narrative of who the Savior is, of, of the, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the way that he was reaching out in his time and, and uh, connecting with people. It is, uh, it, it's a, a wonderfully told tale. For those of you that have been with us, it, you remember we've talked about how it was likely that this was actually created to be uh, presented as a dinner theater. Um, that, that there would be those that would have this, uh, this memorized and they would go from town to town, village to village, uh, and, and gather an audience of people and then act out in some way or, or, or retell at least the story of Jesus Christ um, to all those that would listen. The, the language in the imagery that Mark uses here in his text, it, it, it draws you into the story. It, it, it makes you feel a part, the, the emotions that are there, the, uh, the, the detail of, of characters and individuals are all there. And we've been seeing how Jesus, as he is going about his uh, ministry, calling out to people to repent that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, that, that as he lives that out, as he ministers to those that are in need, that he touches those that are sick, uh, that he frees those that are in bondage, um, as he speaks hope to those that have been trapped in hopelessness. One of the things is... That in some ways Jesus goes out of his way to challenge the expectations that people have of who the Messiah is supposed to be. And what are the things that the Messiah is going to do. And that has led to, as we've been reading through here, this growing conflict between Jesus and the religious elite those that are part of the, the temple system, those that have been uh, involved in, in, the, uh, in the teaching and the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the, law, the legal aspects of, of the law, of all the things that God had been writing. The, the Pharisees, for sure, have been uh, seen in Jesus someone that has come to undermine their tradition. Their, uh, their ways of living. They had expected that the Messiah would come in a way and would, would agree with them. And, and when you remember going back that, that there was that point when Jesus healed the man who, who was lame, that had been paralyzed, and Jesus uh, forgave his sins and was able to heal him. And it was at that moment that everybody was there, including many of the teachers of the law, many of the Pharisees from all over Jerusalem, Samaria, through Galilee and Nazareth, that they had all come to hear this man. And, and, and when, they, when they heard that Jesus was able to forgive sins, that, that as the Son of Man, as the divine Messiah that had come to earth, that he had the authority to forgive sins, they all worshipped God. They were in. They, they were 
all over this, that, that, that this man Jesus had come to rescue them. And they were set to crown him as their king. But then as time went on and Jesus challenged their expectations of what the Messiah would do and what he would say, they went in a very short time from praising God and celebrating that the divine Messiah had come to plotting to try and kill him. In this passage that we're going to be looking at today, the conflict extends beyond the religious elite. And we're going to see how Jesus, uh, the, the things that he was doing, the, the, the authority that he had given to his disciples, the message that he and the disciples were carrying out, and the, the, the healings and the deliverances that they were um, uh, performing uh, throughout the region was going to challenge the civic, the, the royal leadership of Israel as well. One of the things that it's important for us to, to look and see that's uh, kind of interesting is, is how Mark bookends this passage. Um, it starts off, if we were to start reading at verse 12, it talks about, he, he, this is the, the passage where Jesus is sending out the apostles into the region to be able to preach the message of Jesus, to be able to heal and to set people free from demons. And that's exactly what we see. The, the disciples in, in verse 12, it says in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. If we drop down the, the other end of the story that we're going to be looking at today, if we look at verse 30, we see that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So this section that we're going to be looking at today is bookended both sides by Jesus extending his, the reach of his ministry through his apostles. That they were now empowered to do the very same things that he was doing, to speak the very same things that he was speaking. And it's through that extension, through that growth that was happening in the community, everywhere that people saw reports of this Jesus and his disciples were spreading everywhere. And it got the attention of some of the civic leaders in that, in that area. So let's start reading at verse 14. King Herod heard of it. What did he hear of? He heard of these disciples going out and preaching the message of Jesus, doing the same things that Jesus had done. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work within him. But there were others that said, no, no, he's Elijah. But others even said, he, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, 
his brother Philip's wife because he, Herod, had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. And so Herod kept him safe. When he heard Jesus, oh no, when he heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when, when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. He, he, he vowed to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you, even up to half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And Herodias said, For the head of John the baptizer. And she came immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king send an sent out an executioner with orders to bring John's head. So he went out beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl then gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is, uh, could have been some blockbuster movie and I think probably there are some movies that that contain part of this story, maybe even all of this story. I mean, you've got everything here. Uh, you've got, uh, you've got a, a tormented royal who, who is, is eaten up inside and, 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 and feels the conflict. Uh, you, you have a, a, a lover, a forbidden lover, who, who is, is being attacked, who, who, is, who is frustrated at the the clear declaration of her sin and, the, and her, her lover's sin as they come together and try and live out this farce of a marriage. You've got this beautiful young woman and this uh, seductive dance that she does and draws everybody in the audience in. Uh, you've got all of these different things. You've got this holy righteous man who is declaring the truth who is, who is unwavering in his declaration of what is holy and what is right and what is good, playing the part of, of, of Herod's conscience. And you have this martyred hero who is honored and venerated by his followers, by his disciples. It would be uh, an amazing story except for the reality that it is true. These are 
real people. Sometimes when we read through this, we, we, we lose ourselves in the, uh, the, the, the entertainment of the story and lose, fact, lose sight of the fact that, that this was real. That Herod was this tormented man. How did he, how did he get into that place? There isn't too much that we read about, in, in, about Herod in Scripture, but, but as we go to some of the, uh, the contemporary sources, some of the historical documents from people of the day, of uh, people like Josephus, of, of uh, others like him, Tacitus and others, that, that write some of these things that was going on in this time, in this era, we, we learn a little bit more about what was going on. Herod, Herod Antipas, that's the one that we are talking about, is the, uh, one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who had rebuilt the temple. He was the one that that had established uh, uh, in a very strong way the the, the, uh, uh, Jewish royalty that was there in in Jerusalem in the face of of Roman occupation. It was a strong man, a powerful man, a victorious man. He was also the one who killed all of the babies there in Bethlehem. Um, trying to get rid of the one that had been promised, the king of the Jews that had come, as he understood it, to replace him. Herod was a, a, a bitter, angry man, a, 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 a very jealous and very, uh, very paranoid and, and, and scared about those that were around him. He, he had many sons through the number of wives that he had, and, and he had anticipated that there were two of his oldest sons from, uh, from his wife, who was the Hasmian princess, that those were going to be the ones that would succeed him. But in his paranoia, he had both of them executed, anticipating that they were somehow trying to undermine him and to kill him. Herod Antipas' other brother was also uh, convicted of trying to poison his father, trying to get rid of him so that he could take over the throne. And so when it came time for, for the successor to be named, Herod uh, the Great had initially pointed to his son, Herod Antipas, this same Herod that we read about here. But then on his deathbed, he rewrites his will, changes things, and breaks up the kingdom into three parts with Herod Antipas and his two other, one full brother and one half brother. And, and Herod Antipas boiled at this. He thought that he should be king, but instead he was named Tetrarch, which means a, a quarter ruler, that he was somehow less than the king, he was a governor. That was the official title that he was given by his father. That was the official title that Caesar Augustus approved and affirmed for him and for his brothers. But Herod Antipas didn't like that and, and continued to call himself the king. And we even see evidence of that here in the, in the story that, that he's referred to as King Herod, even though he really was not a king. He, he jealously, desperately hung on to that title. He, 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 he attacked his brothers and there was all kinds of conflict between the three. And then his brother Philip, half-brother Philip, 
married this woman who was beautiful. Herod Antipas was already married, but when he saw his brother's wife, he lusted after her and wouldn't be stopped until he wooed her into his own life, divorcing his wife and causing her to abandon her lawfully wedded husband, Philip, and come and live and be married to Herod Antipas. It was a, a mess. And, and, and the, the jealousy and the, the conniving and the envy and all the other nastiness that you can imagine that's going on in this family all ate away at Herod Antipas's heart. He was a, uh, a prideful man. And it's that pride that got him into trouble. John the Baptist John the Baptist was unafraid of speaking out harshly against this marriage that Herod Antipas had created. The divorcing of his own wife and then the taking of his brother's wife. It was against the law as laid out in Leviticus. And there wasn't anything that would stop John the Baptist from proclaiming that their union was evil, was sinful, was a... a, a, a an act of rebellion against God. That drove Herodias crazy. That, that there was this, this little puny man that was out there in the wilderness that, was, uh, that, that, that seemed to have Im impunity to be able to, to speak whatever he wanted, to call out such harsh, terrible things against her and against her now new husband, Herod Antipas. She wanted to, to silence him whatever she could. She, she wanted him dead. But Herod's pride wouldn't allow that. He, 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 was, he was at once fearful of John the Baptist, of the things that John the Baptist was saying. But at the same time, he wanted to appear to be righteous to be doing the right things that he would that he would be able to to handle these words that were being saying uh, there was part of him that was that was drawn to the things that john was saying not just the the accusations that he threw at him but but the things that he was saying about the the society as a whole so he protected john from his wife herodias and eventually got him put in jail and there kept him safe so the Herodias wouldn't be able to kill him. This pride that he had in his life uh, was to try and, and, and appear righteous to his people. That everybody on the outside would look at him and say, what a wonderful man this Herod is. Powerful, magnanimous, that, that, that he, he was a, a great builder that he was, was able to, to, uh, to stand the, the, the accusations of this holy prophet. They thought that, that he was this amazing guy. And, and, and Herod loved to have this image of having everything under control, everything just the way that he wanted it. And yet you can see from this passage that he was tormented in his heart. 
that he was desperately trying to keep this house of cards put together. Even though everything seemed to be crumbling around him, he, he, he did whatever he could to try and keep this facade that everything was A-OK. Even, even on this time of his birthday where he makes this outlandish promise to this young girl that he thought maybe, maybe he had eyes of, of seducing her as well, who knows what his thoughts were or why he would make this great offer that even up to half his kingdom. Now, of course, he, he didn't have the authority to be able to give half his kingdom because his kingdom actually belonged to Caesar Augustus. He wasn't able to, to follow through. It was just a, this grand gesture to everybody that was around of what a great guy. This, here it is. But then she asks for the one thing that he... That he was afraid to give. What, <laughs> what a horrible situation. I, I know none of us are in a place where we are in, in kind of a, a royal position. Where, where we are trying to impress all of the military people and all of the great people in the nation. But I know for myself, I've got a circle of people that I like to have them think that I've got everything together. That I'm a, a, a generous, humble kind of a guy. That, 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 I'm, uh, that I'm righteous, that I'm falling along, and I've got all of my things in order. My house of cards is nicely stacked up. And though even in the reality of life, the hurricanes that are blowing are, are knocking my house of cards all to bits. And yet I still want to keep that facade that everything's okay. And there's this torment within my heart of knowing that with the things that, the God, that, that God is calling me to put aside, the, the activities, the, 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 the passions, the, uh, the attitudes that I, would, that I would hold on to, that He's calling me to put those aside and trust in Him and, and, and live righteously and, and, and step with Him. And yet, that, those are things that are just so hard to let go of. I don't want to lose face. I don't want to uh, be shamed in front of everybody around me. And so I continue to, to guard my house of cards as the wind keeps blowing and trying to knock it all down. I don't know about you. If you, can, uh, if you can relate to that kind of torment, knowing what's right, and yet not being able to do it, continuing to fall into those sins that, 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 that ha have got such deep hooks in our heart, and all the things that I try and do to, uh, to guard myself against it, to put those things aside, all of the self-help books that are out there that I try and follow to, uh, to keep myself presenting well in front of everybody. All of that is just this desperate attempt to try and hold this house of cards together. Jesus speaks to us and He makes this Amazing call to our lives. 
He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and weighed down, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Oh, isn't that what we want? Doesn't that sound marvelous? To not have to, uh, to be always so attentive to make sure that all the pieces are in place, to make sure that, that everything that I do falls in line, that, that I'm saving face in front of all of these other people. But instead, just to be able to rest. To know that, that, that Jesus, as I keep my eyes focused on Him, as I, as I, as I follow His leading in my life, as I keep in step, as the Apostle Paul talks about, keep in step with the Spirit, listening for His voice and following wherever He would lead me. And not depending on my own abilities to try and redefine who I am, to, to, to present to everybody the kind of image that I want to present. But instead, just to live in that humble authenticity of walking with Christ, of allowing Him to be the one who defines who I am. Allowing Him to lead and guide and, and, and motivate my words and motivate my actions and motivate my attitudes and thoughts. And to be able to just rest. That's what Jesus offers us today. That's, that's what Herod was so desperate for and yet was looking in all the wrong ways to actually attain. That's the message that the disciples and Jesus were proclaiming. Believe in the Gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ has paid the price, that He has done the work, that He is going to uh, do the, the rebirth in our lives so that we can live well before Him. Not because of our own efforts, not because of our ability to keep the house of cards all together, but because of what His Spirit does in us. We can trust Him. Come. Rest. What a wonderful promise. It takes humility. It takes the, the risk of of showing people the, the, the reality of the brokenness of our hearts. It takes the, the chance that, that maybe people are going to think less of me because of those revelations of who I truly am. And yet, there is no better place than resting in the arms of our Savior who knows exactly what He wants us to be, who knows exactly what He wants us to accomplish, and clearly and powerfully leads us into that place of promise. Let's pray. If you have been feeling that torment, that struggle between trying to, to keep up with the 
the, the, the image, the impression that everybody else would have about you and, and yet knowing within you the darkness of your own heart. Jesus invites you this morning to come and rest. To lay down that weight, to lay down those burdens that are making you so exhausted and so weary. And to find in Him true peace, true joy. And an eternal purpose that is exactly what you were created for. I would invite you just to take some time here this morning in the quietness of your heart to be able to say yes to Jesus. To say yes to His promise of rest. That you would be willing to put aside your own efforts and to wholeheartedly embrace and cling to His sacrifice that was made on your behalf. And in humility to be able to walk honestly and authentically before Him as, he is, as His Spirit leads and guides you. Would you take some time here this morning just to, uh, to give your heart once again to Jesus. To trust in His, uh, His perfect rebirth, recreation that He will do in your life. Thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are, no matter how deep a hole we have dug for ourselves, no matter how tormented and desperate we are, that when we turn to you and say, yes, I receive your rest, that you're there, that you are, are willing and able to give us that rest, to take our burden, to set us free from all of those things that would assail us, and to find that true peace. Lord, for those that are here this morning, that, that your Spirit has been working in their heart and brought them to that place of, of ready to, to receive your rest, Lord, I pray that you would give them that assurance, that confidence to know that that rest is secure, that, that that promise is unchanging, and that they can in any moment, in any way, look to you and find your love, your perfect guidance, your strong arms to carry them through. Thank you that that love, that promise of rest is available to all of us. And that we can walk strong, strong in your presence, strong in your spirit, strong in your love. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.